0: Our current leadership models are broken, and it's imperative in the times that we're in now that we fix it. But to do that, we as leaders need to evolve. Today, we show you how to make the first steps to become a self-evolved leader.
1: The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love and Action Podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome to
0: Episode 83 of the Love and Action Podcast, where we help make your business and workplace be both good for people and for profits. And here... We believe that can only happen through love, care, connection, and belonging the way all of us human beings were designed to experience work. And you know, in this pandemic madness that we're in now, becoming a leader and encouraging people and motivating others, especially so many of us that are in a a state of anxiety, well, it's no easy task to do that. That's why it's a privilege, quite honestly, to be approached by so many authors and thought leaders and influencers, the movers and the shakers of the world coming to me to share their message at a time when there's so much suffering going on. And because we will spend a third of our lives in the workplace, personally, I feel an urgency each and every episode to speak to you and have my guests speak to you because we want to see you succeed in this crazy messed up world that we're in so know that there is a special purpose for every single guest i bring on this show it's to help you it's to help make you better so hopefully you'll get something out of today's episode hopefully it's you know in every episode to help you cope or cause you to pivot or make you see something in a different way and ultimately move you to become a better leader and a better person. Okay, I am officially off my soapbox. (laughs) With all that said, I'm excited about my guest today in a new book called The Self-Evolved Leader, elevate your focus and develop your people in a world that refuses to slow down. (laughs) I love that title. Author Dave McKeon lays out a simple process that breaks the outdated models of leadership so that you can inspire and encourage your team to success. Dave is the CEO of Outfield Leadership, where he speaks, coaches, and trains fast growth organizations to build a culture of real, authentic, but also results-driven leadership. And he is the host of his own podcast, which I find kind of cool which is called Lead Like You Give a Damn. And he's also a fellow Inc.com columnist like myself. Dave, welcome to the Love in Action podcast.
1: Marcel, thank you so much for having me on. I feel super inspired after just that rousing speech about (laughs) bringing humanity back to the workplace. I love that.
0: Yeah, you know, and I got to speak raw sometimes from the heart. So speaking of speaking from the heart, We always start with a gratitude moment, and I love those moments that because it kind of kicks off the episode with people just kind of disarming themselves and say, ah, yeah, yeah, let me think about that. And so we have so many varied perspectives when I ask this question, Dave, and that is what makes you smile
1: when you get up in the morning
0: these days in the
1: crazy Uh, world that we're in? (laughs) Um, funny enough, it's the sound of my dog, our five-year-old American Staffordshire, Maggie, jumping off the bed, getting ready for her morning walk and me knowing that the alarm is probably going to go off in about five minutes, but I've got to get up and tend to her anyway. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's just nice to, to know that she's there and that we get to have a little bit of time outside before I get stuck into the crazy work day.
0: Yeah. It's that time to kind of just like, okay, get centered, get yeah. grounded before we go into the mayhem. Right. Very yeah. much
1: so. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. I love exploring book titles with my guests. So maybe we can start there. What is self-evolved leadership?
1: So I've been working with leaders and leadership teams for about 10 years to help them elevate their focus and develop their people. And over that time, I noticed that leaders fall into two camps on one side of the fence. They just kind of fall into what they're doing, you know, they're good at what they do, they get promoted and you know they end up in a couple of leadership positions and and just kind of go through their life and there might be a, a good, there might even be a great leader, but there's not a real pronounced focus on actually honing the craft of leadership for a whole bunch of reasons that I'm sure we'll get into and then on the other side there there are folks who view leadership as a calling as as a craft to master and, and they They start from a position of wanting to become the best leader that they can. They push for their own growth and their own development. And those leaders that fall into that camp have a number of characteristics and behaviors that end up pushing them towards excellence because they are more in control of of their development. And so that, for me, is a self-evolved leader. They don't wait to be developed. They, they, They take that hold. And then the subtitle is just the the world in which we live at the minute. How do we take control of our own growth and development to become the most effective leader we can in a world where the requirements on us are just coming at such a record pace that it's hard to even find that time Mm. to grow and develop?
0: Yeah. Oh, man, you're speaking to me. Oh, you know, I always tell people that when I used to get on stages, now it's all all Zoom based, but it's just basically that leadership isn't a job. It's a responsibility it takes sacrifice, it takes commitment, it takes vision. I mean, well, let's let's get into some of that stuff because I know that you wrote about it. So let me back up just a bit. What's really wrong? What's the problem with our current leadership models that we see out there?
1: Sure. So, you know, if you think about just the study of leadership and and our perspectives on it, (laughs) you know, we we can go back six, seven decades, maybe eight before, it, it. you know, we had the early stages of just trying to discover what good leadership um, meant. And there were some theories around in the sixties and seventies, even eighties and nineties that are still in and around kind of our general belief system around leadership that were maybe an asset then, but are starting to become a liability. And, and, and there, for me, it breaks down into three categories. One is just the, the fallacy of certainty that we believe our leaders need to to be certain in where we're going. They need to be at the front leading the charge. You know, there's that old saying that leaders know the way, show the way, and go the way. And and in today's day and age, there are just too many variables. It's too too complex for one any one person to be 100% certain about where we're going. And, and our people know that. The second area where I think it's broken actually has maybe been thrust a little bit from the tech industry, which is this over... Reliance on the notion of the visionary leader, that in order to be a truly great leader, you have to reinvent an entire industry. So, you know, people talk about Steve Jobs and Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and these people that just are so out there and so visionary. Problem is that the vast majority of leaders up and down organizations across the country and the globe or just don't have that natural visionary tendency in them. And that's okay. We don't need to force them into being visionaries because when we do that, bad things happen. And then the third, and I think probably the most prevalent aspect is this notion that we have to lead through acts of heroism because mm. our world is moving so fast. And before and because because we've allowed anybody to interrupt us at any time and, and through whatever mechanism that they want and assign whatever life level of priority they want on that, as a leader, we're just scrambling to stay above water. We're just scrambling to fight whatever fires in front of us. And so we have this inherent belief that it's much easier for me to either tell my team what to do if they've got a problem or challenge or worse, still do it for them. So we're, we're jumping in with these acts of heroism. We're stealing victory from the jaws of defeat, which may sound like it's, it's good and valuable, but over time, it, it also can be a liability.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So- I'm totally guilty of the heroic kind of leadership because early on in my career, I was an individual contributor Mm. and I was looking up at those leaders going, Hey, I want that job. I want, I want to be like them. Cause all I could see was this perception that I had was the, the cape blowing in the wind or like, you know, superheroes (laughs) with their (laughs) fists at their side, you know, standing firm. And and I'm like, okay. So when I, when I got into a role of of a leader, Man, I started to have all kinds of problems because I was wanting people to look at me as this hero figure, and it backfired because very I, wasn't, much. I wasn't being a leader. I was I was trying to play up to this facade, this image that we uh-huh. leaders to be,
1: uh-huh. and, and and it comes it comes from two very obvious places. Number one, actually, just the story you tell told that. Yeah. Throughout our life, we have been rewarded on knowing the answers and putting in the hard work. From whether we're a kid in school, through to our first job interview, through to our first promotion, that's how we are 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 pushed through the system. And also, let's face it, it's a nice ego boost if you're the hero, if you step in, you save the day. You know, it makes you feel useful, makes you feel wanted, makes you feel needed. And those two things together then can be a really large gravitational pull that keeps us into heroic leadership. But as you said, it it, it starts to break down. You get yourself into a lot of problems. I know, I know. Yeah,
0: yeah. And so I think that to bring this conversation, this part of the conversation full circle, we're really talking about mindset, I think, uh, Dave, it's just that we have to, there are leaders that get promoted, or they want the leadership role, but they don't want to shift what it takes for you to be a successful leader. So they bring with them this idea of what leadership is, which may Mm -hmm. be a false idea, and then they Mm -hmm. fail. So to be a true leader, I personally believe if you don't, if <laughs> the reason so many leaders fail is because they haven't made that shift to a new way of thinking. Mm-hmm. So, having said that, what is the key mindset of the self-evolved leader?
1: I think a hugely important point, and I, 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 I just want to double stamp what you said: that the worst thing that you can do as a leader is believe that your past experiences will get you success in the future, you know, to turn up and, and say, I know how to succeed because of my past. It's way better to turn up and say, I know nothing, and I'm, but I'm willing to learn. And, and for me, the, the key mindset shift into becoming a self-evolved leader is to pivot your focus uh, towards helping your, those on your team achieve your shared goals. And in doing so to develop into the best version of themselves. Wow. And there's two parts of that, right? There's build, helping your team build shared goals, and then there's and, and, and achieving those shared goals. And then there's in doing that for them to develop into the best version of themselves. And why that second part is so important is because there's no room for acts of heroism there, because if you're just helping your team achieve their shared goals, but it's because you're doing all of the work for them, th- then that ain't going to cut it. There's got to be growth, there's got to be development, there's got to be you acting more as a guide and less as a hero to help them grow and develop over time.
0: Yeah, yeah. So whatever you want to call it, I label it servant leadership because Mm. I teach courses on servant leadership. I mean, I think that's the crux of leadership is to meet the needs of others, to make other people better. And so that's really what we're talking about. Okay, can we dive into the the components that you wrote about in the book? What are
1: they? So in order to make this transition towards self evolved leadership, the key shift that we want to, to move, from is, move from is from you leading through acts of heroism towards this new mindset where you're helping your team achieve shared goals and in doing so developing into the best version of themselves. In order to do that, you need to, number one, make that mindset shift. And then after that, there are three things that you need to work through. at a real high level setting with your team, a co-created, co-collaborated vision of where you want to go as your North Star the vision for your team. And you can do that at whatever level of the organization you're at. What's your end point? What's your destination? What's your reason for being? Number two, building an implementation pulse that helps you get there. So if our vision is our, our end destination, our implementation pulse is our map, our course that we want to chart to get there. And then number three, to build a set of, of simple to understand, not necessarily simple to do, and key leadership disciplines to help you stay the course so that we know where we're going with our vision. We've got our implementation pulse that helps guide the drumbeat of implementation. And then we've got a series of key disciplines that you need to develop as a leader to help chart the course whenever you hit rough and difficult times and and stay on track.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to speak to my listeners right now. It's really important that you understand what Dave just said, and that is that it's a, speaking of the vision part, so often we think that vision is the leader at the top of the mountain, setting the vision, coming down from, quote, the metaphorical Mount Sinai, if you're a reader of the Bible, and handing it down to people and say, do this, right? And you're saying that you actually, you co develop the vision together.
1: Yeah, I think I find that teams that do that are way more successful for a couple couple of reasons. Number one, they're bought into the vision. They're part of the process, right? So there's way more likely to be buy-in than there is if you come down and say, this is where we're going. And number two, then it helps you maintain alignment where if you have to make difficult decisions and somebody on the team disagrees with a decision, so long as it aligns with the vision of where you're going, you can say, hey, we agreed on this together. So you know, what has changed for you since then? So that just the, the, the likelihood of you getting there and achieving it is, is much higher and, and the, the buy-in that you get from your folks is, is much greater if you could. Yeah. And it.
0: the other point I wanted to bring up is so many people defer vision back up, upstairs, to the CEO or the executive team. You're saying that at any level, you can actually develop a team vision.
1: Yeah, very much so. And, and they, should, they, should, they should add up to the achievement of the overarching organization's vision. You don't want them to be in conflict with one another. But if you, look, if, you, if you get this working in your organization, you look across various teams and departments, you should see this picture of all of these jigsaw puzzle pieces or cogs in a wheel adding up to the, the overarching achievement of the organization's vision. The other thing that's super helpful for this is when we talk about alignment, it's often very hard for somebody you know, on a day-to-day basis to understand how their actions adds up to achieving the overarching vision of the organization. That's a big gap to go. You know, Should I go to this meeting because we want to be you know, the greatest tech company in the world? It's kind of very hard to like, align those, but should I go to this meeting because my team provides excellent customer service for our clients? Well, that's a lot, a lot easier for me to say yes and, and to, to make those decisions. Having everybody in your organization understand how the actions that they take up every day achieves the overarching vision is, is how you know you've achieved alignment. And just putting some team visions at other levels of the organization can really help stitch that up a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so then once you have a vision, then you talk about having an implementation pulse. So it's taking the pulse of the organization of your team at certain vantage points, right? Impact those vantage points. what are they?
1: A, lo- a number of leaders and managers are okay at setting annual plans, right? So we've got our vision for wh- where we want to go. Hey, I can probably set a series of twelve-month goals for for how to get there. Uh, you know, some strategies that'll align around that. Awesome. They're also very good at uh, just pushing us through on the day-to-day basis. But what's missing often is that bit in the middle. And so we set our annual plans, and then we just go out into the world and just get hit in the face a whole bunch of times and change priorities and swing and sway and. You know, crises ha- happen and opportunities open up, and we get a third or halfway through the year, and we go, "What are you, what are we even trying to achieve this year?" Mm-hmm. You know, you just get so caught up in the busyness of the day to day, and so when I work with leadership teams, my goal is to help close that gap. So yeah. let's 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 start at that fifty thousand foot level. What is your twelve month plan? Where do you want to be in 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 the next year? What are your key milestones? What are your key strategic initiatives to get there? Then on a quarterly basis, just to come down from 50,000 foot level, take a look and say, okay, are we tracking to be on track for what we want to achieve? What do we need to start doing this quarter, stop doing this quarter and keep doing this quarter to make sure that we're we're heading in the right direction? What What of our metrics are looking good? What's not looking good? What needs to tweak and change? 10,000 foot level then is to take a look at a monthly basis say from a tactical perspective what projects are working well what's going off track where, where do i need to go and just just help my team out a little bit and then you know you can go as far down as looking at it from a weekly basis and a daily basis depending on on where you need to spend time as as a leader the big one that's often missing is that quarterly piece which gives us the opportunity really to assess our strategic priorities for the year Unfortunately, in most organizations, strategic priorities shift because some leader or some boss has had a had a thought in the bathroom or had a converse, interesting conversation with somebody over dinner or, or drinks last night comes in and says, Hey, it's a real good opportunity. Let's follow that, or hey, let's let's not do that anymore. And and there's no real process for shifting our strategic priorities. If you get really good at building an implementation pulse, and particularly that quarterly review, that's where you get to elevate your focus from the day to day and say, okay. Where are we on track? What's not working? What have we completely abandoned? What do we need to get back on track? How do we pivot if we need to? I, and it just helps you create a little bit more of a structured agility into your decision-making.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, to me, that's the alignment piece right there because it keeps everybody on the same page throughout an annual process. Right. And I'm glad that you brought it up that the, the quarterly is the missing key. But I love the fact that you drilled that down to the monthly, the weekly, and the day-to-day. And that speaks to the managers amongst us that are in the trenches with the people doing the work is we need to keep those people aligned on a, on a weekly day-to-day level. And again, things change. Yeah. So you got the day-to-day, you got the roadmap to communicate changes and make those shifts and, the, and then reset expectations along the way.
1: Yeah. And it's funny because when I talk through this with managers and leaders, I just see their eyes glaze over because it's, a, it's not a particularly sexy piece of all of this. And the one thing that they're thinking is, I'm already in enough meetings already. You're going to, you want me to put in more to which my response is you're probably in too many meetings because you don't do this. You're probably yes. in discussions that are happening over and over and over again because you don't have a structure for decision-making and ensuring that you're on track. So you get a bunch of people together, you make a decision, you go out, you try to implement it. You realize it doesn't work. You come back in, you have a whole, another discussion, you unpick the whole thing again. And, and so for me, meetings are not the enemy. Bad no. meetings are the enemy. If you get really good at facilitating meetings, these may be the only meetings you need to have all year because everything else is implementation.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So don't just have any meeting for the sake of just meeting. It's yeah. These are the meetings that you really need to have right here to keep focused on the end goal, Right, the prize, the, yeah. the top of the mountain. All right. I want to talk about the, the third key component is discipline. So what do you mean when you, when you say leadership disciplines?
1: So a couple of years ago, I got a little bit sick and tired of the, of the old argument of whether leadership are hard skills or soft skills, you know, and the saying goes that people say they're soft skills because they're hard to assess, they're hard to conceptualize, they're hard to train against, they're hard to practice. And I mean, my perspective is, you can practice being a good leader in the same way you can practice your cooking or practice playing the guitar or practice coding or practice being a good parent. It's it, it, When we call them soft skills, we're, we're basically giving ourselves an out and saying, well, yeah, it's hard to really work on that. So I just said, let's just change the, 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 the nomenclature around it. Let's call it disciplines, because disciplines are hard to master. They yeah. are things that we can train against. They are things that we can see, that we can assess against. So let's focus on building a set of leadership disciplines. That means bringing it into our day-to-day and not just thinking about them in this sort of like, High-level philosophical way, but it's like, how do you actually implement some changes on your in your day-to-day basis? So that's what I mean by leadership disciplines at, at its core level.
0: Okay, gotcha. So there are six of them, right? Should we unpack a few of those? We call them micro disciplines. What are they?
1: Yeah. So there's there in the book I, I talk about six micro disciplines and, and then five kind of larger key disciplines. Okay. And the six micro disciplines, if you get good at, at these. The kind of the five larger, more key disciplines become a little bit easier to put in place and come a little bit easier to to master. So here are the six things that that I think that leaders need to work on and 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 get good. They don't need to master it, but get better at. First of all, to take a pause. We do not give ourselves a beat in our organizations today. So take a pause. You know, before before you answer somebody's question, before you share your perspective, before you. Tell somebody that we're going to shift our priorities. Just take a pause, take a bit, beat, take a moment. Let silence do the heavy lifting sometimes. It's okay to just take a a beat because we'll get better answers and better solutions if we're not rushing with the first thing that comes to our mind. Second one is to exist in the present. I think that societally, we have been told and taught that we can multitask our way to great leadership. Multitasking is not great leadership at all. In fact, it's the opposite and so getting good at focusing on one task, one person, one problem at a time and dealing with that and giving that your full focus setting context i don't know if you've ever sat in a meeting where you get to the end of it everybody feels really good about the decisions that were made you walk outside and then you go oh, it was a really good meeting but I'm, I'm i don't really actually know what we decided or who's responsible or or you know what we're going to do about that or worst still you know, 10 people go into the meeting and 10 people come out all with a very, just a nuanced version of what the understanding was of what, we, of what we just decided. And so in just helping set the context for your team over and over again, what is it that we're talking about here? How does that fit into the bigger picture of our vision? Just ensuring that people are aligned. We have to over-communicate to align our folks and we have a tendency to under-communicate. Final three, and I'll go real quick. Be intentional. Great leaders don't just get there by happenstance. They're, they're very intentional about what they want to work on, how to work on that. They're very intentional with their team. They they tend to not react. They're very proactive. So be very intentional about what you're doing. Listen first and talk second, because the, if you, as soon as you open your mouth and you're in front of your team, everybody's going to say, okay, let's do that then, boss. So give everybody else the room to share their thoughts before you do. And then the final micro-discipline is to push for clarity. So again, just to ensure what exactly have we decided? What do we mean by that? So that there's no breakdown in communication. You get those six micro disciplines, which happen just in, they're just little glimmers. They're not huge, big sweeping behaviors. But if you do that, you'll be on your way to to developing some pretty good, effective leadership practices.
0: Yeah, I was going to say those are very effective. So if I'm a leader and I want to develop some of those skills, is there one that weighs more than the other? Which one should I start
1: with? Start with the one that you feel you're lacking in the most. You'll have a, a varying degree of competency across all of them. And, you know, I would do a quick traffic light exercise on each of those. Red, this is something I definitely need to work on. Yellow or amber, I'm okay at it. We could use a few tweaks or green. I'm awesome at it. Pick your reds or your, or your ambers or your yellows. You know, choose one to work on at any time. My, I'm a big proponent of only working on one thing at, at any time because we, we start to stack we start, we, we, you know, you read a book and you go, oh my goodness, there's so much good stuff in here. You begin to work on six different things. And then by next Tuesday, they're all gone because you can work on six things at a, at a time. So right. pick one, pick one, be, and, and I am such a big proponent of having transparency with your team to say, hey folks, this is one thing that I'm working on right now to be a better leader. That's going to help us work together more often. I need you to be accountable, hold me accountable to it. And so let's say you're working on listen first, talk second, just give your team permission to, to, to put up your hand and say, hey boss, you said you wanted us to talk first. Well, you've spent the last 20 minutes talking, you know, just, just give your team and the people around you permission to hold you accountable to those things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of some things that you can work on and be a better leader, I want to, let me tell you something. <laughs> As an executive coach, I can't tell you how many times I have coached, my leaders to release control, share their leadership and delegate. Mm. So I want to uncover delegating because you cover it in the book. I just don't think that most leaders are good at delegating, even when they know they should, Dave. So why is that? And how do you delegate effectively?
1: It's, it's an ego thing. So we, we tell ourselves it's not, but it is. So we, you know, the excuses that we give our to, you know what, it'll, just, it'll take me longer to, to, to tell this person than it will to, to do it myself. Or, ah, they probably won't get it right anyway. Or, ah, I'm just going to have to, you know, I'm going to go have to go fix it, you know, behind. Those are all nonsense. I mean, here's the thing. So let's take the first one. Unless it's a truly one-off task or thing that's come in that literally will never come in again. And yes, you could probably clear it off in five minutes, or it's going to take you 25 minutes to go share it with somebody else. And you know for a fact they'll never hit your desk again. Of course, do it. Five minutes, whatever. In what world does that ever happen? In what world does does that ever happen? And so the reality is you you spend 25 minutes teaching somebody how to do this. The next time they come to do it, it's the, the amount of time that you've invested halves. The next time they do it, it halves again. And before you know it, they only have to do it four times before it's saved you two hours worth of work or whatever. So, so I think we've got to just not walk around with that fallacy. And then the, the other two, yeah, it's just hilarious to the amount of leaders that say, well, you know what, they probably, wouldn't, they probably wouldn't do it right, or I'd have to fix it anyway. To which my, my question is, so you're seriously telling me that somebody that you've employed in your team that, that reasonably should be able to do this thing, you're saying that they could not do this thing. That's an entirely different performance-related conversation about that person. The real response is they won't do it the same way that you want you would do it. And maybe they wouldn't do it. It wouldn't look the same way. And also you don't get the opportunity to put your handprint on it. And that's all ego, ego, ego stuff. Yeah. And so we got to get over that. And whenever I work with, with leaders, my goal is to get what's on their to-do list down to about 20% mm. of what's there. Mm. And, to, and to do that, you got to ask the question. You have to deal with those mental hurdles that we put up. And then you look at every item on your to-do list and you say, okay, is there somebody on my team who, if I give them a little bit of support advice and guidance, could, could do this? And the answer is yes. I mean, you just delegate it. And yeah. then what that does is that leaves you with the 20% of stuff that you truly add value to and gives you the opportunity to elevate your focus away from, from the weeds.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of my executive clients tell me that, you've mentioned it already, it's a trust issue, right? They want to do it themselves because they don't trust their employees to do it better than they right. think they will do it if they do it on their own. And so I always say, well, okay, so tell me, how do you address that trust issue that you have with your, you know, a particular employee or employees? And they say, uh, it's like a, a hold up the mirror moment for them. Mm. Oh, it means that I probably need to empower them and raise their competence to be able to handle the task. Right. Now yeah. so we're right back to, okay, good. This is good. Now you're putting the focus on developing their skills. Right. And Which will raise, of course, it's going to make them better, so that they can do the job more effectively. And then that means that you will back off and stop having those moments of oh, I don't trust my employees. Oh, right.
1: Oh, what an awful way to create a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? To say, well, I don't trust them to do this. You know, what? just you know, have a go at it. But I don't think you're going to get it right. I mean, of course, they're going to fail. So rather than do it, actually start from that perspective. Okay, what I, what needs to change in me? Go to them and say, hey. I believe you've got all the capability in the world to do this. You know what? We're probably not going to get it right first time. That's okay. I'm here to be advice and guidance and support for you and to help you grow and develop and do exactly. wow. that. What a much better way to approach your, the people on your team.
0: Exactly. And ask the magic question, what is it that you need for me to make right. you more successful?
1: Yes. Exactly. Oh my goodness. The other side of the coin, which I want to just make sure that we don't go to is that equally as terrible as leaders just delegate everything and just don't care. I just say, just you deal with it, deal with it, deal with it. And there's no communication that says hey, what's what are your priorities right now? Do, do you even have capacity to take something on? If you did, does something need to shift? Let me help you like figure out where that goes. You know you just give some leaders just throw stuff over the transom all the time, which is not what that either of us I know are talking about here.
0: I'm glad you brought that up, so there's two sides of the delegation coin it is not delegating enough and then delegating carelessly without really supporting your team to do it. okay I've been dying to Get this off my chest here, because you know when I read this in your book, I'm like, yes, thank goodness that Dave is bringing this out in the open. And that is those moments that every leader at one point or another is going to have. It's the, it's having those dreaded performance related conversations. It's awkward. There's confrontation involved at times, and so nobody looks forward to those. And so many leaders just don't do them well. Mm. But you say. It would work seamlessly if you have what you call a symbiotic conversation. Let's talk about what a symbiotic conversation is.
1: Sure. Well, I, I think it's important to, to just note what you said, which is we don't really handle performance-related conversations well in general, usually because we view them, our body views them in kind of the same way as we view a physically dangerous situation, the same part of our brain kicks in when we are, have to go in to talk about difficult things. And so it means that some leaders either just go in too hard. They just go in and they just bluster and they just you know, yell and scream and they're just angry. And then on the flip side, there are a whole bunch of leaders that just avoid, 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 avoid and, and say, ah, it's not that big of a deal. That doesn't matter. Oh, I wouldn't worry about it. Okay, If it happens the fourth time or a fifth time, okay, now I really have to talk to them about it and they go and have a conversation and say, hey, I just wanted to bring this up. It's not really a big deal. I actually think you're a great person. But maybe if you wanted to think about just doing this one thing, it would be great if you could fix that. But actually, don't worry, but it's not really that big of a thing. And you're an awesome person, great member of the team, to which the person on the other side just looks and goes, I really have no idea what you just you know, actually want me to do here. And so for me, having a symbiotic conversation is about viewing the person in front of you in all of their humanity, with all of your empathy, and knowing that, that the relationship the adult to adult relationship that you have with one another is is an ability and an opportunity for 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 both and all parties to grow and and develop and learn from it and to to understand that if you're sharing some behavioral feedback that you have for somebody you're not critiquing them as a person you're not trying to bring them down you're literally trying to help them grow into the best version of themselves and so to position your conversations with them in that way that says hey." let's assume that you've worked on your delegation, you're getting good at that. You've got to have a, a conversation about something, just being open, honest, and transparent and saying, hey, I'd love to share some feedback with you. I want you to know it's not criticism of you as a person and it's it comes from a place of, of love and empathy for you in an effort to help you improve. And I hope I can learn from this conversation as well. Would you be okay with me sharing that with you? Have them say yes. And then here's the key to, to actually having a, a tough conversation. Say the thing that you want to say and then just shut up. Like, don't, don't, you know, we, we used to teach, I mean, I, I taught it for a while, I don't know why, but we used to teach that the best way to give feedback was in a sandwich, you know, say something good, say something negative, and then say something bad. What a terrible way to actually, like, tell somebody something that they need to work on. So Just share it. And, you know, I noticed that, you know, your your head starts to go down and your, your morale kind of takes a low if we're in a meeting and your idea doesn't get chosen. Do you notice that? Quiet. Just let silence mm. do the heavy lifting. Mm. Mm. Do you see where, the, yeah, yeah, the power of the pause. Yeah, so if you, if, you get, if you get that micro discipline in there, it makes having those difficult conversations all the, the more easier. And then the final aspect of, of having those, those tough conversations is it's always gotta be something that they can choose to opt into or opt out of. You know, we do not respond well as humans when we are forced into having to make a change. But when we, when we can see that there are options and I get to, to to choose to to opt in or opt out, then it's much easier for me to make a choice. No, that doesn't mean that I opt out. I don't have to take your feedback. There might well be an opportunity where you choose to opt out. And actually, that means that you might not be the right fit for this role. But that's awesome. Like If you're making that choice, I want to love you. I want to support you. I want to help you find whatever is right for you. But, but I want you to make that choice because I'm not going to force that upon you. I think we have to give the folks on our team the choice about what they want to do with the feedback that we give them.
0: Love that, Dave. Love that. Dave, I want to transition to a, a topic we talk about here often, and that's fear. And you know, so many of us work in fear and so many leaders lead through fear. I don't know if I, I don't know if we should even call them leaders, maybe bosses, <laughs> managers, but tell us what does fear do to people and how, how does fear affect performance, human performance?
1: And we're noticing it a lot, actually, this, this year, when the pandemic first hit, one of the ways in which leaders were showing up was to just lead through, through fear, to just almost freeze and, and not know what to, to do in that moment. And that's not helpful. If I, as a leader, feel fearful, I have to do my best job to get out of that cycle and to open up the choices that are in front of me. If I'm a leader and I'm actually instilling fear in, in my team, that's even worse. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right that they're, they're, they're not great leaders. Because when, when, you, when you put fear upon somebody, the number one thing that they feel is a restriction of, of choice. And when we have a restriction of choice, our performance tends to dip because we feel like we can't control certain aspects of our life. Uh, and we end up often going in, in little narrative loops. Uh, of negativity that sort of go round and round and round and round in our head, which then ultimately becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy.
0: And so if you're in a
1: position where somebody's exerting a degree of fear over you, widening your choice is a hugely important thing.
0: Mm. Mm. Okay. And also want to make the link between really the opposite of what I feel is the the complete opposite of fear, and that is love. Mm. And so I want to make the link between leadership and practical love. And for those longtime listeners, they already know that the love that I'm talking about here is a verb, love being a verb that inspires. It's a practical love, inspires, motivates, empowers people to flourish, right? That's why we call the show Love in Action. So how does a leader love well in a business setting, day in and day out?
1: Uh, I think the first thing that they have to do is, is not go too, f- too far over to the side where people say, well, my team is my family or, or my organization is my family. And a lot of people think that that's how you do show up with love in the workplace. Your organization is not your family. You, you, you can't fire your brother and sister. You can't fire your mother. You can't fire your, your children. And, and so what happens actually whenever we say that and we have difficult decisions to, to make, it, it makes it much harder to do that. No, I think that that doesn't mean that we cannot show up with love. In fact, I think we have to. But it's 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 a way that's more akin to showing up with love and respect for your fellow person in any setting. To mm. understand them in their full glory, to understand them as best you can in all of their strengths and all of their flaws, to accept them for who they are as a person, and to understand and believe that. Any good relationship, there is an element of helping one another improve and grow and that you're there to help them do that and they are there to help you do that. But that's not necessarily a family. That's different for, for me. I think that's, that's an important distinction to make.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that distinction. So before we wrap up, Dave, is there any question I did not ask that I should have that's pertinent to this discussion?
1: I guess the one question would be okay. So this is all great. What do what do we actually do about it? Which for me in the book, the penultimate chapter, I put together a fifteen week plan to to take in everything that that is in the book and put it into to practice. And I think we sort of alluded to it earlier. But if there's anything that that has piqued your interest in what we've talked about, whether it's it's co creating the vision, building your implementation pulse, working on those those disciplines. Just break it down in, into its component parts in the same way that you would want to work on anything else. So define what success looks like for you. Map out an opportunity for you to work on that. Break that down into key steps for how you get to, to, to do that. Go execute and then review what, what's working for you and what's not, and then go and rinse and repeat. I, mm. I don't think that we should ever stop trying to evolve and grow as leaders. And if we can just break it down into a process like that, it's, you'll, you'll start to see progress.
0: That's great. Okay. We end our episodes with two final questions. And personally, Dave, for you, what what would you say is really tugging at you hard in this day and age now that you'd like to share with us? I,
1: I think for me, it's a hope, a belief, and a degree of optimism that some of the p- more positive lessons that we as a species have learned throughout this year will will maintain into whatever the next version of our workplace looks like. I think that there has been a, a, a movement towards more acceptance and, and love of one another in a, in a workplace setting. And I, and I hope that doesn't go away.
0: Mm-hmm. Finally, you close us out with that one thing, that one important takeaway that you'd like to uh, take us home with.
1: I think no matter what you're trying to do in life, control what you can control and don't worry about the rest. Oh man,
0: that's good. That's good. Dave, it's been real. I have enjoyed hanging out with you. I learned from you. Your book is amazing. And I want to thank you for
1: joining us today. Thank you for having me, Marcel. It's been a great conversation.
0: Yeah. So if people want to connect with you and get resources, where do they go?
1: Go to selfevolveleader.com. You can get a, a free chapter in the introduction of the book. Uh, I'll also just direct you to all of the good places you can get it. Uh, if you want to learn more about me, go to DaveMcKeown.com and you can connect with me on all good social platforms at DaveMcKeown.
0: My special thanks to Dave McEwen for sharing his expertise. And thank you for hanging out with David and me. And we hope that you will share this episode with a friend and then keep spreading the love and action movement. And if your company would like to sponsor episodes of the Love in Action podcast, I'd love to chat with you. You can reach me on my website, marcelschwantes.com, or hit me up on LinkedIn. Until then, remember, the future of leadership is love in action. Try it and be convinced.
1: Thanks for joining us on the Love in Action podcast. If you enjoyed this show and want to help get the word out, make sure to subscribe and leave a review.